to comply with any of the conditions imposed by the donor. Alright, and that would be four years from non-compliance. But as I said, and I was not able to place it here on the, on the matrix, however, if the donation is considered an onerous donation, then it would be governed by the law on obligations and contracts. And under the law on obligations and contracts, with respect to um, actions arising from a written contract, the prescriptive period is 10 years. So, in, so failure to comply um, the conditions of, uh, uh, imposed in an onerous donation, which is considered as a contract, the revocation of that contract would be, or the um, rescission of annulment of that contract would be, um, rescission of that contract would be, not annulment, rescission, rescission of that contract would be within 10 years from non-compliance. And ingratitude, if there's a ground for ingratitude, the, uh, what are those acts that are considered ingratitude on the part of the donee? This would be provided in Article 765 of the Civil Code. For example, there's commission of offense against the person, honor, and property or the donor of his or her spouse or children under his or her parental authority. So the donee committed a crime or the donee imputed a crime against the donor uh, or any act involving moral torpitude, even though he should prove it. Uh, unless the crime has been committed against the donee himself, his or her spouse or children under his or her authority. And lastly, so you accuse the donor of committing a crime. Even if you have evidence, you should not accuse the donor unless the crime is committed against you and your family. Then you can. Then refusal to support the donor when the donee is legally or morally bound to do so. It can be a ground for ingratitude. And the donor can revoke the donation within one year from the time the donor had knowledge of the fact and it was possible for him or her to bring the action. So that's donation. Uh, very easy to understand. Uh, just don't forget the formalities, etc. Now, let's go to use of rock. Okay, so use of rock and then um, easements, okay, uh, before we uh, take a break at 3 p.m. So use of rock. Um, what is this um, arrangement called use of rock? Uh, as defined in Article 562 of the Civil Code, a use of rock is um, a right that is given to another person to enjoy the property. At the same time, an obligation is imposed on that person to preserve the form and substance of the property unless the title constituting it or the contract constituting it or the law otherwise provides. So I give to you the possession of the property with the right to enjoy it, with the right to enjoy the fruits of that property, but at the same time um, um, with the corresponding obligation to preserve its form and substance. What are the characteristics of a use of rock? Um, the use of rock is a real right, okay? Um, it is temporary in nature. There is no permanent use of rock. Um, the use of rock usually terminates if there is no period um, provided in the con in the use of in the use of rock contract. It usually terminates upon the death of the use of rock. Actually, the person who has given who has been given the right to enjoy the property by the naked owner, um, and then the enjoyment. Of object as a consequence of its normal use or exploitation. So that is the characteristic of 
a use of rock? What can be uh, the object of use of rock? What can be uh, subjected to a use of rock? All things, uh, including consumables uh, and rights, can be the subject of a use of rock, so long as the rights are transmissible rights. So even consumable things can be uh, the subject of a use of rock. That's what you call an abnormal use of rock, because the only way to enjoy a consumable is actually to um, consume it, to uh, for it to be uh, to disappear because you've consumed it. So what are your obligations? Are you required to um, give back? Uh, if you've consumed it, they're required to give back uh, what you have consumed. So we will under, uh, we'll um, look at that uh, when we discuss the obligations of a use of rock, actually. How are how is a use of rock uh, constituted? It can be constituted by law, or it can be constituted by acts inter vivos or mortis causa or by prescription. If it's the law uh, itself that uh, provides that the, that a use of rock exists, then for uh, an example of that is um, in the case of um, parents. Parents uh, um, under the um, okay. So let me just check. No? I know that parents uh, can be made the use of fractury uh, of their minor children's property. Okay. And um, it can also be, it's provided in Article 226 of the Fanwim Code, wherein parents can be considered as the use of fractury of their minor children's property and the fruits thereof actually shall be used for the family. And... Um, and for example, of a use of rock that is based on contract is the case of NHA versus Court of Appeals, wherein the Manila Seedling Bank Foundation was given use of fractury rights over a portion of land in the National Housing Authority. So it can be by law, it can be by contract, or accents interviews refer to contracts, or it can be acts mortis causa by will, or it can be by prescription. Uh, you have acquired a use of rock by prescription. So what is a prescriptive period? We will know shortly. Um, what are your rights as a use of fractury? If you are given use of fractury rights over the property. So this uh, slide just um, enumerates uh, some of those rights to give us an idea of uh, the rights of a use of fractury. Of course, to enjoy the fruits entitled to enjoy all the fruits of the property in use of rock, including share in any hidden treasure found therein by him or her. So use of rock actually is considered as a finder and not a trespasser if he found or if she, founds, or if she finds a hidden treasure uh, on that land. To is allowed or she is allowed to lease the lands uh, given in use of rock. Um, he is also allowed to alienate his right of use of rock to somebody else. Um, he can also enjoy any increase uh, with respect to which the thing in use of rock might acquire through accession, like accession natural, the servitudes established in its uh, favor, and all inherent benefits in general can be enjoyed by the use of rock truly. Uh, the naked owner uh, cannot use the land, cannot be entitled to the fruits of the land because it has been given to the use of rock the use of fractury or the beneficial owner uh, to use the object thereof um, um, so number five to use the object or to make useful improvements or expenses for mere pleasure provided this does not alter the things form or substance 
That's number six. To use object number six to make improvements, um, would he be um, entitled to reimbursement for the improvements that he or she made? Uh, according to Article 579 of the Civil Code, with respect to improvements, a use of fractory has no right to be indemnified for the improvements that he made on the property, but, okay, so no, no, not entitled to um, reimbursement, as opposed to, if you recall, if you are a possessor in good faith, you are entitled to reimbursement uh, with right of retention with respect to the useful uh, expenses or in respect to the improvements that you have placed in the land. But that's not the case for use of fracture. You cannot be reimbursed, but you may remove the improvements if no damage will be done to the thing in use of fracture. And you can set off those improvements uh, that you have made into property against any damage to the same. Um, there's also the right not to be prejudiced by the works of improvements made by the owner of the land and the right to demand that um, in case of extraordinary repairs, okay, the right to demand the owner, uh, demand of the owner, the increase in value which the property may have acquired by at the termination of the use of rock if he made extraordinary repairs indispensable for the preservation of the thing. So these are some of the rights of a use of rock of a land, for example, because it's a real right. Now, there are some specific types of uh, use of fractury. Uh, there are some specific types of use of rock, and the rights would, this is in addition to the rights stated on the screen. For example, if um, you are given a use of rock over things that gradually deteriorate, uh, it's not, you don't, it's not, it's not consumable, but they gradually deteriorate, like you are given a use of rock of a car to be able to use this car. Okay? You don't pay rent, you just use the car, you use of rock of that car. You have the right not to be responsible for any wear and tear of that car. Or you're given a use of rock over consumables, then because it's a consumable, there's no way to enjoy consumable than to consume it. So what are your rights? You have the right to consume them, but at the end of the use of rock, you should return their value or equivalent things of the same quantity and quality. So you return the value of that or, or an equivalent thing. With respect to um, a use of rock over an action to recover real property, a real right or movable property, so it can also be considered as a use of rock if, um, because a use of rock can be also over rights. And I gave you the use of rock to recover a movable, for example, or to recover an immovable. So for that, you have the right to uh, demand of the owner to give you the authority for this purpose and to furnish him or to furnish you with it whatever proof that is needed for the recovery or for the filing of this action. And lastly, there can also be a use of rock over a mortgage immovable. And um, in such a case, uh, you're given the land to enjoy, but the land is mortgaged. You don't have the you have the right not to be obliged to pay for the debt for the security of which the mortgage was constituted. So those are some additional rights of a use of rock, depending on these special kinds of use of rock. No? Now, now that we have an idea of the rights of a use of fractury, what about the obligations of a use of fractury? So on the screen would be uh, enumerated some of those obligations. Uh, you're required to actually, um, that's next, you're actually required to make an inventory 
of the property that was given to you in usufruct, but if you don't make an inventory, it doesn't affect the validity of the usufruct, especially when no one will be injured thereby. But according to Article 583 and 585, uh, if you don't make an inventory, then, um, then um, it will just give rise to a presumption that the property was received in good condition. Okay. Um, also, you have to give security. Um, when you're given a, a property in use of rock, you have to give security, but subject to certain exceptions, like when no one will be injured thereby anyway, so there's no need to give security, or in case the donor has reserved the use of rock of the property donated, so it is I donated to you the land, but you became the naked owner because the use of rock, the use of the land was retained by me, so there's no need for me to give a, a security, or with respect to parents who are use of fracturies of their minor children, then they don't need to give security unless such parents, according to Article 583 um, of the Civil Code, contracts a second marriage. Then that's the, that's the instance when the parent would be required to give a security. Now, um, there is a use of frac, for example, um, wherein the security given is just a promise under oath. Okay, the security given is just a promise under oath. Uh, I don't know if you have heard of this, and that is uh, it's in the hand, handout. I, I was not able to place it here and the uh, PowerPoint, but it's called Kaushon Huratoria. Kaushon Huratoria. Kaushon is C A U C I O N. Kaushon. Um, huratoria, J-U-R-A-T-O-R-I-A, Huratoria. And it is a security given by the use of fractory, and it's a, it's a form of a promise under oath. When the use of, uh, when the use of frac given is uh, of a thing that is necessary for living and shelter, such as a house, furniture, and tools for industry. So if it's an essential um, um, property, you need... To, you need shelter. So I give you the use of rock of one of my houses because um, uh, I would like to help you. You don't have a house for your family. It's okay. I'll give you the use of rock of my house. So um, there's no need for you to give security in money or in bonds, but uh, you can give me a promise under oath that you would return the house upon the termination of the um, use of fractory. And that's allowed especially with respect to use of frac of things that are necessary for living and shelter and tools for industry or vocation. Kaushon Horatoria would be um, allowed in this case, a promise under oath. Now, the other obligations of the use of fractory, apart from making an inventory or given a security, is to make ordinary repairs for the maintenance of or preservation of uh, the property in use of frac. And number four, to notify the owner when there is a need for extraordinary repairs that are considered urgent. And number five, if he um, alienates or leases his right of use of rock, he shall answer for any damage which the things in use of rock may suffer through the fault or negligence of the person who uh, substituted him because he transferred it to that person. He shall be liable for any damage caused by that person. Number six, to pay legal interest on the amount expended by the owner in case of extraordinary repairs, 
uh, corresponding to the time that the use of rack that the use of rack exists and to pay annual charges taxes and other liens on the fruits um number eight to pay the debts of the owner when imposed by the contract of use of rack or the use of rack was made in fraud of creditors then that's the only time that the use of rack actually can uh, be actually required to pay the debts of the owner the number nine um to notify the owner of any act of a third party of which uh, the use of fracture has knowledge that may be prejudicial to the rights of the ownership and be liable for the damage should he not do so. Notify uh, the owner that there is a, um, a prejudicial act on the part of a third person that might affect the ownership of the land. And lastly, to return the thing upon termination of the use of rack without prejudice to the right of retention for refund of reimbursable taxes and extraordinary expenses. So you cannot be reimbursed for the improvements that you have made, but you can actually be reimbursed for the taxes that you paid on the land, reimbursable taxes, and other extraordinary expenses, not ordinary repairs, extraordinary expenses that need to be made on the property that is under use of rock. So now that we have an idea of... Um, the rights and obligations of a usufructuary. Um, how is a usufruct terminated? How is it terminated? How, how is it extinguished? Uh, this would be provided under Article 603 of the Civil Code. And the usufruct is usually extinguished by the death of the usufructuary. Um, let us say I inherited a land from my parents. Just an example. Um, because my parents passed away, so the land were the, the lands were transmitted to me by succession, and one of those lands is uh, the subject of a use of rock because there's a contract of use of rock between my parents and Mister X. The death of my parents would not extinguish the use of rock. It's only the death of the use of rockery that would extinguish the use of rock. So I'm required to respect the existence of a use of rock on the land. That I have inherited. A use of rock can also terminate upon the expiration of a period or a fulfillment of a resolutory condition. So it can be that the use of rock is for a period of 20 years. So after 20 years, the use of rock would be extinguished, or there is a fulfillment um, of a resolutory condition, like um, uh, you can use, um, um, you can enjoy my land provided you. Uh, do not migrate to the United States, which means that once you do not migrate to any other country, once you migrate to another country, then your use of rock over that land would terminate. Now, talking about expiration of period, okay, talking about expiration of period, because Article 606 provides if the term of the use of rock is until a third person attains a certain age, the use of rock subsists for the number of years specified even if the third person should die before the period expires unless the use of rock has been expressly granted only in consideration of the existence of such person. So let us say I entered into a contract, a use of rock contract with Mr. X that uh, Mr. X can enjoy the contract until um, until his son Y well, reaches the age of majority. All right. 
So what if the son died before he reaches the age of 18? And um, at the time that the contract of Yusufak was entered into, uh, the son was just born. Okay, he's just, let's say, a few months old. So the Yusufak is for almost 18 years. But the son died before 18 years. Would the Yusufak be extinguished? Because of the death of the son. According to Article 606, um, this Yusufak subsists for the number of years specified, like 18 years, even if the third person should die before the period expires. This is general rule. It's understood to be for 18 years. But if the only reason that I made reference to the, to the child is because the use of rock was granted, expressly granted in consideration of the existence of such child in order to help Mr. X uh, um, uh, support the uh, rearing, uh, support the, the raising of the child, then if the only reason is for the raising of the child that I gave Mr. X the use of rock, then the death of the child would also extinguish the use of rock. Are you following? That's under Article 606 of the Civil Code. So expiration of a period. So the period can be up to um, uh, a person, uh, it can be a specific period like 18 years, or it can be until uh, it can be in view of the existence of a certain person, okay, like uh, a minor but died before 18, uh, reaching 18 years. So the use of rock is constituted. In his uh, in, in the consideration of his existence and um, and growth, so therefore his death would extinguish the use of rock. Merger is when there is a merger in uh, the persons of the naked owner and the use of rock or renunciation, wherein the use of rock renounce his right to the use of rock, or there is total loss of the thing that is the object of the use of rock. So there's no longer a thing that can be enjoyed by the use of fractury without the fault, of course, of the use of fractury or termination of the right of the person constituting it. So it turned out that the naked owner uh, is not um, the, the true owner or the real owner or the valid owner. So he did not have the right to uh, constitute the use of fractury in the first place or by prescription. If... Um, if some other person acquired the land by prescription or the use of fractury acquired the land by prescription, it's also possible. The use of rock would end because that use of fractury would now have full um, ownership over that land. He's also the naked owner and as an, as a, he's also the owner and as an owner, he would enjoy all of the attributes of ownership over that land. So that is how a use of rock is terminated. But before we leave use of rock, there's just some remaining provisions under use of fracturing. And um, that is um, in the case of a use of rock over a land or building. So it's possible that you're given the right to enjoy this land with a building on it. If the land is destroyed, okay, if, if the building is destroyed uh, before the expiration of the period of the use of rock, um, it would not terminate. Uh, it would only terminate the use of rock over the building, but the use of rock over the land continues. If uh, the use of fractory has the right to use, um, if the use of fractory is only with respect to the building, then such use of rock would terminate upon the destruction of the building. So it's self-explanatory. Now let's go to easements. Okay. Easements. What is uh, an easement? 
uh, as defined in Article 612 of the Civil Code. Uh, the other uh, term for easement is servitude, servitudes. And it is an encumbrance, a limitation, a burden imposed upon an immovable for the benefit of another immovable belonging to a different owner. Owners, no? So it involves two immovables, and these two immovables belong to different owners, and there is an encumbrance, a burden, that, in, is, that is placed on one of the immovable in favor of the other immovable that belongs to another person. Now, what are the characteristics of this easement? Um, similar to a use of rock, an easement is also a real right. Okay, so easement is also a real right, and it is established only on immovables by nature. Immovables by nature, uh, for example, land, usually land. Okay, um, there are certain immovables by incorporation, by destination. Uh, easements do not apply to them. It only applies to immovables by nature, and it is imposed on the property of another. And it can exist only between neighboring lands or neighboring tenements. And it limits the ownership of the servant estate. Uh, the, the ownership is retained by the servant estate. It's just an encumbrance. So there are limits uh, placed on it. And it is inseparable from the servant estate. So the servant estate carries with it whenever it is um, alienated. It carries with it the use of rock, uh, the, it carries with it the burden, the easement that is placed on it. And if the servant estate is, uh, let us say, it's partitioned uh, among uh, the different heirs, uh, the, the easement is inseparable. Uh, all of those heirs would carry, uh, would respect uh, the easement that has been placed on the property that they have all inherited, and it is indivisible. In other words, it is indivisible. Uh, because um, it uh, it needs to be respected by all of the heirs that have inherited the property. Now, what are the different kinds of easements? Um, it can be a real easement or a personal easement. It can be a continuous easement or a discontinuous easement. It can be an apparent easement or a non-apparent easement. It can be a positive easement or a negative easement. It can be a legal easement or a voluntary easement. Now, real easement, as explained in Article 107 of the Civil Code, is an encumbrance imposed upon an immovable for the benefit of another immovable. Uh, it's an encumbrance imposed upon an immovable for the benefit of another immovable belonging to a different owner. That's real because if it's personal, then... It is an easement established for, um, sorry, if it's real, it's an easement established for the benefit of a community or one or more persons to whom the encumbered estate does not belong. And if it's personal, um, it refers to an easement that requires the owner of the servant estate Okay, so I'm, I'm confusing myself. Real uh, um, um, easement is for the benefit of the community. Personal is for the benefit of a particular person. Now, continuous versus discontinuous. Now, uh, on the screen, 
um, continuous versus discontinuous and apparent versus non-apparent are uh, highlighted in red because these are the two uh, very important kinds of easements. Uh, discontinuous would be depending on uh, uh, this is the kind of easement, continuous versus discontinuous, based on the manner of exercise. Upon the other hand, apparent versus non-apparent easement is a are the kinds of easement based on the indication of its existence. Um, so let us jump, uh, skip for a while, continuous versus discontinuous, apparent versus non-apparent. A positive easement versus negative easement. Um, positive easement is uh, an easement that requires uh, the servient estate to do something. Negative is prohibits the servient estate to do something legal is imposed by law and voluntary are easements that are uh, voluntarily agreed upon by the parties to that easement contract. Uh, let's go to um, uh, easements, kinds of easements that are based on the manner of exercise thereof. So it can be continuous or discontinuous based on the manner of exercise. Um, why is that easement continuous? It is continuous because the use of it may be incessant without intervention of any act of man. If it's a continuous use, then it is a continuous easement versus discontinuous wherein it is used only at intervals and depend upon the acts of man. So continuous is, um, its use thereof is incessant and does not depend upon the actual act of man. Discontinuous is, it's only being used at intervals and depends upon the act of man. Like, for example, um, let's say uh, a right-of-way. There is a path that allows uh, the land of A to be connected to the public highway. So the land of A will have to cross the land of Mr. X. That This path would cross, would cross the land of Mr. X going to the highway what kind of an easement is that that path that right of way that is a discontinuous easement because uh, the use of that path would be at intervals depending upon the act of man so the the, the, the um, you need to be to actually step on the path to use the path so that's a discontinuous it's also the same for as explained in jurisprudence, like uh, in the case of um, Bogo Medellin um, versus Court of Appeals, uh, we're in, um, we're talking about the railroad tracks. Um, the train does not use the railroad tracks continuously, only at intervals. So that railroad track is a discontinuous easement because it's only used at intervals. Um, it's if a continuous, the use is continuous, of course, incessant, like in the case of a um, um, easement of an aqueduct wherein the water would flow uh, from one estate to the other and the flow of the water is continuous and incessant. So that is a continuous easement. Um, the easement of light and view, wherein you have a window that uh, allows light to come in that's also considered as a continuous easement because the use thereof does not depend, it's not at intervals. It depends upon the act of man. So long as a window there, the light would come in. Light and view, or you can see the view. 
So that is a continuous easement. Apparent versus non-apparent would be depending on whether or not there is um, the existence of external signs that reveal uh, um, the use and the enjoyment of that easement. So if it's apparent, for example, there is a cement road or there is a railroad track that is an apparent easement, non-apparent, there is no external indication of its existence. Like it's not a cemented um, path, for example. So that's an, a non-apparent easement. Now, why are these uh, easements based on these two classifications? Uh, based on manner of use, continuous versus uh, discontinuous, and based on indication of its existence, apparent versus non-apparent, why are they the most important kinds of easements? This is because they would relate to the mode of acquisition of easements. How do you acquire an easement? How do you acquire a right to place a, a burden or a limit on the property of your neighboring estate? You can acquire an easement based on title or based on prescription. So here on the next uh, um, illustration on the screen, easements how acquired, it can be by title and it can be by prescription. By title, all kinds of easements can be acquired. Can be, we can enter into a contract and giving you a particular easement over my land. You can cross my land, you can let water flow through my land, etc. So it can be acquired by title. But if it is by prescription, then only continuous and apparent easements can be acquired by prescription. So what are examples of continuous and apparent easements? Like in the case of um, uh, the easement of aqueduct, in you the water flowing through uh, the estate of another, or in the case of the easement of light and view, which is a continuous uh, apparent easement. So that can be acquired by prescription only, and the prescriptive period is 10 years. And um, um, when does the 10 years start to run? Uh, it depends on whether it's a negative easement or if it's a positive easement. If it's a positive easement, then from the time... Um, it shall be computed, okay, the possession shall be computed from the day on which the owner of the dominant estate commenced to exercise it upon the servient estate. And by the way, um, there are two estates involved here when we talk about easements. There's the dominant estate and there's the servient estate. So um, the, the servient estate is the estate um, that, uh, uh, that carries the burden or upon which an encumbrance is based. That's, that's the servient estate. The dominant estate is the one in whose favor that encumbrance or burden was placed on the neighboring estate. So the 10-year prescriptive period would start to run uh, upon um, when the owner of the donor, uh, when the owner of the dominant estate commenced to exercise it upon the servient estate. For example, a party wall. Um, a party wall is a positive easement that is continuous and apparent. If we share a wall a bit, uh, that is on the dividing line between our two estates, and if I open a party wall there and you did not um, do anything uh, to close that party wall and that party, uh, and that party, um, and that 
window through the party wall has been in existence for 10 years, then I've acquired already an easement over it. You can no longer close that window on the party wall. If it's in the case of uh, a, um, a negative easement, it's continuous and apparent, but it's negative, like in the case of um, the easement of light and view. It's a negative easement because um, the easement of light and view uh, requires that the owner of the adjoining estate not uh, requires it not to build so it's negative requires it not to build higher than the window of my building for example higher than the window of the dominant estate because if you uh, construct a building higher than my window and i am the dominant estate then you would block my easement of light and view you follow so the easement of light and view correspondingly prohibits uh, the um, owner of the adjoining estate not to build higher than the um, building or the house of the dominant estate. So once uh, it's a negative easement, the 10-year prescriptive period uh, would start to run uh, from, um, from prohibition, okay, from prohibition uh, on the servient estate not to build higher than the window. And this prohibition, according to Article 6, uh, six to one, six to one says that for negative easements, the time of possession for the ten-year prescriptive period um, shall be computed from the day on which the owner of the dominant estate forbade by an instrument acknowledged before a notary public the owner of the servient estate from executing an act which would be lawful without the easement. For example, a notarial prohibition given to an adjacent owner. To preserve the easement of light and view with respect to a house window. So a prohibition. So 10 years on prohibition, I have already acquired um, the easement of light and view. Now, more on this easement of light and view. Okay. Um, because um, there is this case. And this case is a uh, case of Spouses Garcia versus Santos, a 2003 case. Um and in this case, um, uh, Mr. X, let's say Mr. X, so it's based on this case of Garcia versus Santa. So the, um, my example is based on this case. And um, I have two lands, adjoining lands. Let us say the land on the right side has a house. The land on the left side, they're side by side. The land on the left side is a house. The land on the right side is vacant. And I sold the land on the left side with the house. Um, and, um, and that house has windows that afford very good views of the street and very good light coming in. Um, um, from outside, there's easement of light and view there. There's the existence of a window. And then I sold the lot to another person. So when I sold the lot to another person, um, um, this second buyer um, started constructing a building on this land beside the house. Now, the question there is, can he uh, 
put out put up that land uh, can he put up that building that would blo block the view of the house uh, that is located on the left side of the land so the question is and to answer that question we ask another question whether the buyer of this house and lot on the left side have already acquired an easement of light and view that would prohibit the uh, owner of the right side of the land to construct a tall building. So this concerns easement of light and view. Easement of light and view can be acquired either by title or by prescription. If no, 10 years have not yet passed when um, the um, building was uh, constructed, that would block the windows of the house. And remember, the 10 years would only be completed upon, uh, upon a notarial prohibition not to build. So no easement of light and view would have been acquired already. It would prohibit the um, second buyer, the owner of the land on the right, to construct a building that would um, impede the light, um, that would block um, the view of the house located on the left side of the building but the court said this is not about prescription about acquiring an easement of light and view because the buyer of the lot on the left side uh, which includes the bill which includes the house with the window has already acquired an easement of light and view by title by title and this is based on Article 624 of the Civil Code. So let me, um, I was not able to place 624 here. Let me um, um, read uh, Article 624 of the Civil Code. Article 624 of the Civil Code, if you have your Civil Code there with you, it says there that if there exists an apparent sign of the easement between two estates, established or maintained by the owner of both such shall be considered should either of the estates be alienated as title considered as title in order that the easement may continue actively and passively unless at the time the ownership of the two estates is divided the contrary should be provided in the title of conveyance of either of them or the sign of aforesaid should be removed before the execution of the deed this provision shall also apply in case of the division of a thing owned in common by two or more persons. So it's a case of two adjoining lands owned by one person, and that one person sold the land to different persons, to different people, uh, which is what happened in the example that I gave. And at the time of the sale of the land to so two different people, there already exists um, a um, um, there's already there's already exists an apparent sign of easement. An apparent sign of easement. There's already an apparent sign of easement in the example that I gave because of the existence of the window. So the existence of apparent sign of easement is already equivalent to title. So uh, easement of light and view has already been acquired by the buyer of the house and lot on the left side of the estate. And that is the same also for the case of, um, let us say, the case of Taniedo versus Bernard wherein um, the person also uh, sold uh, 
two adjoining lands that he owned, and on one of the land exists a septic tank. So there's an apparent sign of a septic tank. That easement can still continue uh, despite the sale of the two adjoining lands to different persons because the existence of that apparent sign of easement, the existence of a septic tank, is considered as title, um, which means that that easement can continue. So that's Article uh, 624. Um, I hope that is clear. So this, this 620, 622 just tells again that only continuous and apparent easements can be acquired by prescription of 10 years. Other kinds of easements are continuous, non-apparent easements discontinuous can be acquired only um, by virtue of a title. So only continuous and apparent easements can be acquired by prescription. All of the rest, uh, non-apparent, discontinuous ones, they can only be acquired by title. Now, only continuous and apparent easements can be acquired by prescription. The rest, especially discontinuous ones, they can only be acquired by title. Now, let's go to the rights and obligations of um, the owner of the dominant estate. Okay, so after this, um, it's 2.58 p.m. already. Um, yeah. After we discuss the rights and obligations of the dominant estate and the servant estate, we can take a break. Okay, so what are the uh, rights of the dominant estate? The dominant estate is entitled to all the rights necessary for the use of the easement. Uh, it, it, the, the owner of the dominant estate may make any works necessary for the use and preservation of the servitude. But at the same time, it cannot use the easement except for the benefit of the immovable originally contemplated. So if, if the immovable originally contemplated is a, um, a rice land, uh, it cannot be uh, changed into a, um, a fish pond, for example, because the, uh, it was constituted in favor of a rice land. And the owner of the dominant estate cannot exercise the easement in any other manner than that previously established. So these are the rights of a dominant of the owner of rights as well as obligations of the owner of a dominant estate. For the owner of a servient estate, then that uh, servient estate uh, may still make use of his estate subject to easement in any other manner as owner. You, the ownership is retained. Use estate in, in any manner as the owner thereof. All of the attributes of ownership are available to uh, the owner of uh, the servient estate. What is the obligation of the servient estate? Its obligation is it cannot impair in any manner whatsoever the use of the easement. So if it's an easement of uh, light and view, he cannot block the view. If it's an easement of right away, he cannot block the path. Okay. If it's an easement of aqueduct, he cannot block uh, the flow of the water. So that's the obligation of the servient estate. And lastly, um, how, is ex uh, how is easement extinguished? And after this, we'll take a break and we'll discuss the different kinds of legal easements after the break. So how are easements extinguished? It can be through merger, uh, merger in the case of uh, the merger of the two estates, the dominant estate and the uh, servient estate. Or it can be a non-user for 10 years, but the non-user for 10 years uh, it's not really an extinguishment of an es uh, of the easement. It can be that um, um, 
well, yes, non-user can uh, extinguish the easement. But if the estate number three, uh, if the estate fell into um, such a condition that the estate cannot be used, it's not really an extinguishment. It can be that once the estate is uh, can already be used, then the easement would start again. Let's say it's an area in Bulacan that got flooded for months. There's a time when certain portions of Bulacan were flooded for almost a year. So you cannot use that your easement of right of way because the area is flooded. So it's just suspended. It's not really extinguished or expiration of term or fulfillment of the condition. Of course, it can be in the case of a voluntary easement if you're allowed only to use that easement for 10 years or you're allowed only to use that easement until you pass the bar, then the easement would extinguish upon the expiration of the term and the fulfillment of the condition. Or it can be renunciation, the um, dominant estate, or the owner of the dominant estate renounce uh, his right over the uh, easement, or it can be redemption, uh, wherein um, the uh, owner of the dominant estate redeemed uh, the right uh, of the uh, of the, uh, the owner of the servient estate, um, the dominant estate redeemed uh, the right, no redemption. Maybe it's bought, etc. Wherein there's some sort of a consolidation just on one person. It's the same as merger, no redemption. Um, so that ends our uh, session for uh, and for our first session this afternoon. So it's three o three p.m. already. So please take uh, a break for thirty seconds. Uh, uh, you can eat something, etc. So that you come back after 30 minutes, you are alert again. So 3.30 to 5 p.m. would be our last leg for uh, our bar review this afternoon on property. So thank you. Be back after at 3.30 p.m.